This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith, Corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host. Brett McMillan. Hello, welcome to the August 22nd edition of the program. My name is Brett McMillan, and if you are somebody that is either A, really observant, or B, maybe someone that pulls the show down uh, in iTunes right after they get out of work on Tuesday to listen, or maybe for Wednesday's drive to work, you probably realize that we should have had an August 21st edition, not 22nd. So here's what happens. Sometimes, you know, best laid plans just don't work out. We love coming to you every single Tuesday in time for the drive home during the baseball season. That is still how the show will operate going forward. I threw my back out over the weekend, so not only did I have to miss Hall of Fame Day, but it also meant that I wasn't around on Tuesday to put the show out. So I apologize for that. If you are someone that listens every single Tuesday, um, hats off to you. And I also realize that probably a large percentage of the audience isn't folks that maybe uh, listen every single week, but just kind of gather them up and then listen when they've got a long car ride or something. So if that's you, then you're none the wiser to it, obviously. But if you are someone that listens weekly, just wanted to let you know, nothing's changing with our format. Uh, We're just out on the Wednesday, the 22nd this week instead of Tuesday, the 21st. Appreciate you hanging with us regardless of the day. My name is Brett McMillan, and we were supposed to talk Hall of Fame weekend. Um, Instead, we're going to call a little bit of an audible, and here's why. We take a lot of that, again, this might be inside baseball, no pun intended, but we take a lot of that audio off of our video system, which is called Avid, and uh, we're unable to do that today because it's getting some system maintenance. So for that reason, we're going to change gears. We'll touch base with maybe some of that Hall of Fame stuff down the line here. I know that Ray Langford is in for a bud bash in a couple of weeks. So we might bring you a conversation with Ray. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed everything that our great Cardinals team did on social media. There will be a Cardinals Insider episode coming up. I want to say yes, that's on August 26th. This coming Sunday is when you can watch our our Hall of Fame coverage that my uh, my teammates assembled here this past weekend at Bush Stadium. But instead we're going to kind of stick with another Hall of Famer-type theme, which is Bob Gibson. Of course, you know, it's 50 years since 1968. He put up that 1.12 ERA, and it really was just the year of the pitcher overall. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Ben Holtmeyer will talk with Steve Zesch. You know Steve probably principally is the man behind Cardinals Game Day magazine and also the St. Louis Cardinals yearbook, which this year does focus on that 1968 season for Bob Gibson. Before we get to that conversation, though, I want to remind you that Beatles Tribute Night returns to Bush Stadium on Friday, August the 31st. With the purchase of a special theme ticket, fans receive an exclusive Beatles-themed Cardinals t-shirt. Get your ticket at cardinals.com theme. In the 60s, the Beatles played at Bush. That was Bush 2, and Bob Gibson was dominating. And that decade, his career, but more specifically the 68 season, where he had probably the best pitching season of anyone ever in the history of the sport, 
Uh, he just absolutely was dominant that year, and so for that reason, he's the subject of this year's yearbook. So we'll hand it over to Ben Holtmeyer with Steve Zesch. Ben, take it away. Thanks, Brett. Ben Holtmeyer here, and I'm here today with Steve Zesch. He's the director of publications, and we're talking the 2018 yearbook. It's a focus on Bob Gibson and the 1968 year of the pitcher and so much more. And um, Steve, out the gate, what's just your initial takeaway from this yearbook? Just because this is not only a Gibson tribute, this is honestly a, a pretty generic and baseball history keepsake, if you will. Yeah, right. It's the the golden anniversary of one of the seasons that just stood apart from all the others. Um, You know, the pitching dominance that year. So it wasn't just Gibby, and Gibby obviously was the headline attraction, but there were he was sharing the headlines with so many more pitchers, and the the scope of uh, the dominance that pitching had that year. You didn't have to dig too deep to find countless stories. It was in both leagues. There was something happening virtually every night uh, where, where a guy was, uh, you know, just handcuffing the opposition. So it, we're never going to see another season like that. There wasn't any until then. And obviously, you know, everybody knows that the rules were changed afterward. The mound was lowered, strike zone reduced. Uh, but to go through that season and just seeing the degree of dominance, it just blows your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were so many – um, pitchers that year that just absolutely ruled and so many went on to go to the Hall of Fame too. That was the crazy part. Um, but yeah, so I was really just in awe kind of going through this of everything that happened that year and all of all of Gibson's history. Um, but I think honestly one of the biggest focuses, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that this yearbook details every single start that Gibson had in 1968. Yeah, and I think that's how you get the appreciation for what he did is to look at each and every one. You know, that's something that obviously there's been a lot written about Gibson uh, just across the the sweep of his career, but this was the pinnacle in terms of his dominance. So, you know, we put the microscope on 68, and the best way to do that, we thought, was to take a deep dive into each start, to set it up, set the scene, what was going on, how he did in the game, uh, the reaction uh, and and what you come away with when you by doing that is you get a real appreciation for his body of work and the, just how superb it was. There were there were no clunkers in there, you know. The the handful of he, he allowed five runs twice throughout the season. Okay, one was an extra innings game. One well, two of them were unearned. And the, the, he gave up the runs to Billy Williams, a Hall of Famer, who hit a three-run homer, and then Williams hit a, a double. So if you're gonna, somebody's going to do damage, it's Billy Williams, a Hall of Famer. But just night after start after start, you know, the guy was, uh, you know, on, on the verge of some, some supernatural uh, dominance that, mm-hmm. you know, you just didn't see. No, and honestly, one of the, my favorite parts – was not baseball related at all. Some of it was, but I, I love. There's little captions at the end or at the bottom of all these individual starts, and it's the in other news part where it's the history from 1968 and in terms of other news that happened. And the one that stood out to me was uh, a Walt Disney stamp. Could you elaborate on that one a little bit more? Well, you know, we wanted to sort of give the context and appreciation for the times, uh, and of course, you know, Disney. He was a Missourian here, so you know that was in the news where they released a stamp. Uh, the day one of Gibson starts. So it's a kind of a fun little story. 
Uh, but then there's also a number of other things that really everybody remembers the year for, you know, just the, uh, uh, you know, the un- social unrest, uh, the politics, uh, the Vietnam War. But, you know, that was part of the season. And, and Gibson, two of the starts he made, one of those uh, was right after Dr. King had been assassinated, uh, right before opening day. So Major League Baseball postponed the openers by a day to allow for the funeral. Well, Gibson was scheduled to make the start, and he had to take the uh, the he made the start the day after King's funeral. Then he made another start uh, after uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated at uh, the Democratic convention. So. Uh, you know, these guys weren't immune from what was happening in the news. So it's, it was important to show, you know, what was going on around them. You know, it wasn't just baseball. It wasn't, uh, you know, just isolated instances of, of unrest or, or headline-making news. It, it was happening every day. And, you know, some of us remember it. We were there. I was a kid. I was a kid, so maybe I didn't, uh, you know, appreciate every uh, single aspect. But I remember the events well. But so they made made even impressions on, you know, those of us who were, you know, just, you know, eight, 10 years old at the time. Right. And then kind of working through this even more, um, there's a through their eyes section on Gibson where a, a lot of um, other professional baseball players during the time kind of share their opinion. And I think the key word there that we had talked about is respect on how they shared their opinions about that. What do you think about that on how some of some of the quotes you kind of got from a lot of these players? Yeah, and what was clear, you know, Gibson, a lot of people just, you know, the generalized thing of, oh, he hit guys. Right. Well, he really didn't hit that many batters. What he did was he owned a part of that plate. And, and the hitters understood this, that, you know, the outside half of the plate was Gibson's. He'd let them have the inside part. But when they go reaching across the plate, if they leaned over the plate, well, he was going to, you know, make them take a dirt bath there. He was going to knock them down. Um, and, uh, you know, so th- they all acknowledged, you know, yeah, Gibson, he wasn't a headhunter. He wasn't going after you. And, uh, but he, w- he would pitch you tight and, uh, because it was about who owned what part of the plate. Now, now he would hit some guys. I, th- I think a couple of them make mention of instances where if guys try to upset his rhythm by, you know, nonsense, stepping out of the box, delaying the game, you know, all the shenanigans. Well, you know, that was a little bit over the edge. And then Gibson would drill a couple of guys if, if that was the case. So uh, a lot of guys, you know, it, it wasn't any picnic to face them. They, they didn't look forward to it. Uh, but they acknowledged that it didn't, if you were going to beat the best, you know, you had to do it against Gibson. So they almost looked forward to matchups as well just to see right. – what they were capable of doing when they faced the very best. And I, I think that's even farther explained, too, when we – there's a section here called um, Beyond the 1.12. And obviously 1968, year of the pitcher, because uh, 70, there, were, there are 70 um, pitchers in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and 20% of them were basically either beginning their career, ending their career, or in the height of it during that year. And there was so much, and uh, this yearbook details a lot of the history – that was in there, as in um, the scoreless inning streak of 58, back-to-back, no hitters, along with um, the one I liked the most was pitcher ingenuity. I didn't really think about that in terms of a lot of the, the substances that were used. And just honestly, these pitchers were learning how to get better control and learning different pitches. 
Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the spitball and, and doctored baseballs, it was an epidemic then, and they had tried to place some controls on that before the season where, mm-hmm. you know, they prohibited guys from going to their mouth on, uh, while they were on the mound. That was a new rule that year, but it really didn't do any good. I mean, they they were doctoring up baseballs right and left, and uh, but Gibson, you know, some of the uh, guys acknowledged that, you know, he didn't need to go there. Another reason for respect, Gibson was uh, – he had enough stuff on his own where he didn't have to resort to that. But um, it was it was happening. I mean, Gaylord Perry, who threw was the one of the no-hitters, uh, the back-to-back part of it with Ray Washburn. Well, that story notes that, you know, Cardinals hitters estimated that, that he threw 70, 75 of the 101 pitches he threw that night were either spitballs or greaseballs. So, you know, obviously Perry has that reputation, but it was so widespread I mean, there were guys on every staff who were wetting them up and, you know, going to their hats and and doctoring it. But it was a weapon, and, you know, it did play a part why pitching dominated. But then again, like you say, just the the, the personnel, the the pitchers of the era, I mean, you know, Gibson would be going against a Jenkins, a Tom Seaver, a Gaylord Perry, a Juan Marichal. Over in the American League, you had McLean, you had – Louis Tiant, you know, Sam McDowell, you had all these guys that, you know, were just capable of shutting you down. And, uh, you know, you, you think back on it and you look back and it's like, man, to, to have witnessed that era, that, that was, uh, we were pretty fortunate and uh, we're not going to see the likes of it again. No, probably not at all. I mean, that was, they were so good that year, they had to lower the mound. It changed the sport. <laughs> yeah, it did. And, you know, there's been some talk of that. And I mean, even now, like, you know, with the, you know, the way we see, you know, the strikeouts up and uh, the lack of balls put in play and so forth. So they're they're trying to, you know, go for solutions. And, hey, you know, is that going to be something they throw on the table and discuss again? Who, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, it could be. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when they took that down five inches, it's interesting. You know, we note uh, in, in the book, Gibson at the time, he said uh, he, he wasn't phased by it. He said it shouldn't make any difference. Of course, over the years... He's groused about it and carved about it that, that uh, man, they took that away from us. And uh, But at the time, he didn't think it was really going to amount to much. And really, for him, it didn't because he came back 69, had another fantastic season. Uh, you know, he'd win the Cy Young Award again. And, and so, you know, Gibson was just in that part of his career where there was no stopping him. You know, you could have probably uh, had him pitch off flat ground and he would have chipped it. I'm sure. It's just as effective. Right. Um, another section that follows that, it dives into the individual pitchers that really ruled that year even more. It's called Kings of the Hill. But uh, I also liked a couple of the sections where um, Roberto Clemente was talked about. Johnny Bench was talked about. That was his rookie year that year. And uh, those were things for me. Obviously, I, I did not live in 1968, but as a baseball, uh, as a just a person who appreciates the sport, you know, I recognized and, and read about all those players, but I sometimes forget that that was the year of so many of these players. And um, just kind of talk about how that section dives into much more than just the individual pitchers. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're trying to paint that full picture of, of what that year was like. And so we, in the Beyond 1.12, we have the five other big stories be- besides the 1.12 area Gibson. So, we go into those in, in more depth, but then the Kings of the Hill, those are little shorter reads that also, you know, shed further light on on what was happening. And, you know, you get uh, it was Nolan Ryan's first uh, year, uh, 
And so we, we take a look at, at how Ryan uh, really came on the scene. And, and uh, in fact, you know, one of his first outings in spring training was against the Cardinals, and he blew us down. And, and afterward, you know, you had Brock Zepeda, you know, Shane Dean's mouths are hanging open. Like, you know, this guy, we haven't seen anybody this fast. So, you know, he's, he's just launching his career. Uh, then, you know, Johnny Bench, a rookie, uh, you know, Pete Rose, he won the batting title in the, in the National League. Uh, Yastrzemski over in the American League. A lot of people remember that he was the only 300 hitter in the American League. But, um, yeah, it's, it was a, a, just a special, special time that, uh, you know, you get there, you, you get into this, you get those little stories that really sort of, uh, you know, provide nuance on, on the names that we just sort of, you know, hear every now and then uh, just mentioned and, you know, without the, the feats attached to them. So that's what we wanted to do. All right. And I, I thought you guys did a very, very nice job of all of that. Um, obviously, the yearbook comes along with all the, the current staff and players that are also on the team. And there's a big, long players uh, section, and that's just a part of every yearbook. Um, but kind of describe maybe putting that together and then just how that's a part of this as well. Yeah, well, you know, that's the what the yearbook, it came on the scene to be kind of a, uh, the souvenir book of that year's team by, you know, showing the players and uh, nice photography of them. And so that part of the yearbook is still intact. You know, you honor that tradition. A lot of people collect these uh, and they get it year after year. And then that's a great thing because it, it sort of shows that was that year's team. And we have some, you know, great photographers on staff. And so it's a showcase for their work. But, you know, also what we've tried to do with the yearbooks is take that comprehensive look, the really definitive take on a subject. And, you know, this, this, this yearbook, it's, it's a dandy. You know, this look at 68, uh, you're not going to find anything finer than this. Um, just the attention we gave to this, the research we put into it, um, you know, it's really a special presentation. Uh, not just for Gibson, uh, but because of every other pitcher who really, you know, was a king of the hill that year. Uh, just last part, you kind of already started talking about that. What was it like building this? Because there was so much to go off of in 1968, but you, you focused the whole thing on just one year. So kind of describe just putting this all together. What, what was that like? Well, you know, there was no shortage of stories, uh, but to really make sure we got them all, and that's what we try to do is be comprehensive, is, you know, we went back through the, the newspapers, every day's newspaper throughout that season, every issue of the sporting news, through other books that have been published on, you know, the year of the pitcher. So, you know, hey, we, we could have gone halfway and still put together a nice product, but we wanted to get the best of the best, and the only way you can do that is to go through it very methodically, very carefully, and to pick out the things that really paint the essential picture of what happened. So, you know, it, it takes dedication, it takes time, but that's what, that's the formula that we know works. You know, we wanna give fans the best take possible on a subject so they don't have to go looking for another one and say, well, I got part of the story. I, I sure would like to know more. You know, we want to give it to them right within the Cardinal yearbook. 
perfect. And it's, again, um, this is honestly a, a very, very nice keepsake. Just if you're an overall baseball fan, this is a great read. Um, that's Steve Zesch. Again, he's the director of publications. If you're interested, which you should be, you need to pick this up. You can call the Cardinals ticket hotline. That's 314-345-9000. They can send you a copy of the yearbook. You can also go online to cardinals.com slash publications. And Steve also mentioned that it's it's coming to newsstands here pretty soon as well, so you can find it at your local grocery store, correct? Yeah, you'll find it at grocery stores, uh, QTs, Walmarts, uh, Wal- select Walgreens. So you'll find it around town. And, of course, you know, it's sold here at Bush as you come into the ballpark. Our uh, game day magazine vendors and scorecard vendors right as you come through the gate. And uh, it's got a, a nice cover, too, this year on us. We did a special... Uh, coating on the cover so yeah, it feels you different. so you have that you know it's a nice leather background and we sort of wanted to make that tactile feel with it as well so it's it's a handsome piece uh, as well thank you to steve thank you to ben i want to remind you on saturday september 1st 30,000 fans 16 and older want to look and feel like a pro in their home white embroidered jersey Courtesy of TD Ameritrade, get your tickets for September 1st. Cards, Reds, right here at Bush Stadium. You can check out tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. How about those embroidered jerseys? They had the Saturday one earlier this year and then the home white one. It, that is about as close as you can get to the real deal without uh, walking into the team store and buying the actual real deal. It is very slick looking, well done. Our promotions team killing it all year this year. I feel like... They've been even at a whole new level. They're usually great, but this season it, they've just upped their game even more, and I've really enjoyed seeing all those cool promo items, and I know that you have too if you want to check out this new one. Again, cardinals.com slash promotions. As I said, thank you to Steve. Thank you to Ben. It has been so fun thinking about Bob Gibson, and I've enjoyed getting to know Bob Gibson the person a little bit more this year, just seeing him uh, in public more, talking more. And I think Bob probably, from what I gather, doesn't really like talking about himself but understands the place he occupies oh, both in the history of the game and in Cardinal history. And hearing him retell some of those stories from 68, which we've had in previous podcasts, or on Fox Sports Midwest when he's joined Dan in the booth, that's been a real treat this year for all of us. And you can kind of encapsulate that with that yearbook. Again, I think they said it during the interview, but basically if you can get the Cardinal game on TV, uh, you probably can also buy the yearbook at your local grocer, or you can buy it at Bush Stadium in the team store, any of those red carts that sell scorecards, or just head to cardinals.com slash publications from anywhere in the world, and that's where you can get hooked up. There's a tab right there on that homepage to buy the 2018 Cardinals yearbook. So glad that you could join us this week. Again, appreciate your patience. If you do listen weekly, as I explained at the top, no worries. Uh, we will be back every Tuesday for the remainder of the baseball season. Sometimes uh, your body just doesn't let you let you get out and go, and that was my case over this past weekend and into early this week. Uh, that back was just not having it, but I'm glad that I could be with you here today for our August 22nd edition of the show. We are available on iTunes. Search Cardinals Insider. We are available at cardinals.com slash podcast. All of our past episodes are there. We visited with broadcasters, team officials, current players, alumni, fans who have been coming to games since the Gas House Gang was playing in St. Louis. 
I mean, if there's anything you want to hear in Cardinal Nation, uh, we have got some variants of it over there at our two locations on iTunes and Cardinals.com slash podcast. You can email me, podcast, with an S, at Cardinals.com. For Steve, for Ben, my name is Brett. We'll talk to you next week on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.